Colossians 2 and verse 20, 22 and 23 actually is where we're going to be focusing this morning, hopefully, Lord willing, finishing this wonderful chapter and then getting into the more practical uh, aspects of this fantastic, wonderful epistle uh, that Paul has written for us. A lot of times we have wrong ideas about what it means or what it takes to be saved, to be justified before God, uh, but also how do we grow? How do we how do we become more like Jesus in our daily lives? We tend perhaps toward establishing that through works. We try to justify ourselves by saying, God, you know, I've done a lot of good things in my life, and so you should accept me. I think my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, which is false, of course, false hope, foolish, false assurance, and doesn't get you anywhere. I saw a, a, a video somebody wanted to explain there the gospel to their children. And they, so they said this was a father in a pool and he stood his kids on the one side of the pool and he was in the middle and he asked them, okay, jump to the other side. And this was a big, you know, a full-size pool. And so he asked them to, to do it. Okay, and they jumped maybe three, four feet into the pool and they couldn't make it. So he says, okay, try again. I don't know how many times they tried. And then he said, okay, jump into the pool and I'm going to carry you across and put you on that side. That's the only way across that chasm of sin, of death, and of condemnation before God, you need to be carried, even like a little child, across that chasm of condemnation and, and destruction. And that is what we come to. That's what Paul has been celebrating in this epistle all the time, what Christ has done for us, not what we do in our own selves or what we do not do. You know, we restrict ourselves from certain things. A lot of times we either try to justify ourselves before God or to somehow clean ourselves up and make, make God like us better somehow improve his affection toward us and get his attention because somehow God is is absent or distant or somehow I don't see God's work in my life as much as I'd like to. So I need to you know do better, try harder kind of stuff. Paul cut, cuts right to the issue, the heart of the issue here at the end of uh, chapter 2 and then as it begins into chapter 3. I'll read beginning at verse 20 in Colossians 2 and then through into chapter 3 as well to help us get into the, the mindset here. Paul says in verse 20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees? Do not handle, nor taste, nor touch, which deal with everything destined to perish, perish with use, which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men which are matters having, to be sure, a word of wisdom, self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. He gives these two images that we've already seen in chapter 2, this image of having died with Christ, and then, of course, in verse 1, chapter 3, uh, having been raised up with him. And it's not an if, like, well, I don't know if I have been. Well, if you, if you don't know, then you call upon the name of the Lord, just like our the professor said, Romans 10 uh, says, call, confess your sins and call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. So that's how you do it. That's how you know you have died with Christ. If you know or that you'll know you've been raised up with him, it's, it's assuming this is true for the sake of this argument. You have died with Christ, so why are you submitting to those, those worldly decrees anymore? Why are you thinking that your, your sanctification can somehow come through your effort based on your 
your rules that you make up or other people make up for you. He says, don't do that. Don't submit to those things. Uh, these hand, these rules like do not handle, do not taste nor touch. And he gives us here now in verse 22 and 23, uh, three reasons and, and three negative reasons and then one positive reason perhaps. Uh, well, actually, they're all kind of negative in, in how he presents it, but he, he gives us four reasons why a, a works-based justification, also a works-based sanctification, being made more like Jesus, being made more holy or pure or pious in our daily lives, how that is, that's on the wrong foundation. The foundation, the proper foundation is Christ, not what you do or don't do. He says here in verse 22, these things are horrible. These things, these rules that we saw an example of, not a full list because good grief, uh, false teachers uh, are not known for their few words. They are so uh, loquacious, you know, that word's full of words, full of just sound and fury, but they signify nothing. But they, they sound persuasive. Remember how Paul said, don't listen, don't be persuaded, don't be taken captive by this, this false stuff. But their rules in this context deal with everything that's destined to perish with use. In other words, they are so oriented toward this world and somehow that they think this world is the way, you know, dealing with it is the way that we grow in holiness and purity before God. Paul says what they're making all these rules about has nothing to do with, I mean, nothing to do with your standing before God. You remember these, these commands back in verse 21, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, have to do with food, most likely food and drink. We saw earlier in this chapter that they uh, make very difficult demands on people. They say you have to abstain from certain foods and certain things. Uh, they have rules of, about what they can and cannot eat. Now, lest we get confused, well, God had rules about food, right? The kosher laws and so forth. Yes, but that was for a different purpose. That was a, a purpose for setting apart Israel as distinct and different. It was not a means of sanctification. It was not a means of justification that somehow by their law-keeping they could be declared righteous. Always. From the very beginning, you know, they, they claim the Jewish, our Jewish uh, friends would say, you know, our father is Abraham. Okay, well, if your father is Abraham, then you should do the works of Abraham. What did Abraham do? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him or credited or deposited to his account, spiritual account, as righteousness. Forget about all the works that he may or may not have done. And Abraham, that was 400 years, roughly. Uh, that was before 430 years, Paul says in Galatians. Uh, he says, don't, don't think that somehow the law has been tacked on because somehow faith is insufficient or somehow God's covenant keeping loving kindness is somehow deficient. No, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You believe God. You want to be children of, of your father Abraham? Then do the works of Abraham. Believe in me, Jesus says, John 8. We would like to somehow justify ourselves. We like to walk in the, the arrogance of our heart and say, God, uh, you are right in choosing me. You know, I, I do a lot of good things for you. And, and you've got a friend. And, and uh, you, know, I, you, you and me can get a long ways. God does not need those people. God does not need those people who are so full of themselves that they cannot be full of God. God wants people who are empty or have emptied themselves of their own self-righteousness, their works, and so forth. These false teachers like to appeal to human flesh, human pride and arrogance or deceit or conceit, which is to make much of ourselves and say, you know, I can do this thing. Jesus, you got me going in the right direction. I can take over from here. 
And so they try to make these rules about what you can do, what you, you know, if you have to be in church every Sunday and Wednesday night, or uh, that you have to wear this kind of thing, or that you have to do this, or think this way, or speak this way, or invest your money this way, or drive this kind of vehicle, or you need to give, you know, when you have a major decision, as even as far as changing carpet in your living room, you need to approach me, the false teacher. Now, I'm not a false teacher. I'm a, I'm here for you kind of person. The, the arrogance, the, the, rudeness, the pride of these people is so profound. And yet Paul says they're speaking foolishness. They're making all these rules about a game that is not even where it's at, that does not affect your standing before God. These, I mean, it would be like playing Monopoly and getting so invested in the Monopoly game and you have all these different rules and maybe you've added to the rules that that manage that game and, and you're all about that and then you walk away from the game. And you think, well, I can still do it. I can still play. In the- no, the rules were for that game. This You're not playing that game, right? You died to the elementary principles of the world. Why is if you are still living in the world, you submit yourselves to this decrease? You're not playing that game. You are transformed out of that place. Remember in, in the chapter 1, verse 14, I think it was, verse well, verse 13, back it up. He says, he rescued us from the authority of darkness or the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son of his love. You're not in that kingdom anymore. Why do you think that somehow you can you can do this by yourself? These rules that they have about food and drink, guess what? Guess what happens when you do or not do the uh, when you drink or not drink that food, that drink, when you consume that stuff, guess what happens to that stuff? It's it's perished. It's gone. Remember when Jesus was being found fault with back in Matthew 15, it's also in Mark 7, when he did not wash his hands, not just like like mamas want their children, go wash your hands before you take a meal, but but ritually, ceremoniously wash and have the special water and, and all these kind of ceremony. And he didn't do it. Neither his disciples. And and so they got after him. And that was the context where Jesus said, doesn't matter what you eat. Don't you know that what you take in goes through your body and then it is eliminated? Don't, don't be so consumed about that. <laughs> consumed. Don't be so taken about that. You want to be transformed in the renewing of your mind. You want to think rightly about these things such that food doesn't matter. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man. You guys are so focused on the external things, so focused about uh, food and drink in this context, or even uh, maybe there's a connotation too about marriage, uh, about that do not, um, I think it was do not handle was a connection to some commands that, that Paul confronted 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 1 Timothy 4 talked about abstaining from marriage, which don't do that. I mean, enjoy the marriage, enjoy the food, enjoy the drink, all the blessings that God has given to us to enjoy our, our gifts from his hands. Why would you restrict yourselves in those things? It makes no difference to you eternally in these in these ways. They were so focused on the externals because that they were manageable. It's kind of like, if you don't mind, wearing a mask in these days. It's an external obvious indicator of your your whatever. I won't go any farther with that, but just saying you need something external. Could be the, the you know, the not uh, cutting of the corners of your beard kind of thing or wearing the, the uh, special dress or uh, external things that make me look different from you and showing my piety, my seriousness, my self-made religion and my austerity. I'm doing this. I'm taking care of myself. And you guys are a bunch of schlubs. You're not taking this thing seriously. You're just wasting your time. That's how it appeals to pride and arrogance that I'm somehow better than you, and we're not. As many preachers have said, 
the ground is level at the foot of the cross because you can have kings, you can have paupers, you can have the middle class come before Christ and all can be saved. doesn't take a, a special class or, or a situation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These rules that they make, they look good on the outside, and we'll get into what he says here, uh, has the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and all that kind of stuff, but it's worthless. It is beyond worthless. It's deceptive. It's taking away from the real solution, which is Christ. These things are destined to perish with use. Food is, uh, Paul says elsewhere, and he may be quoting uh, a saying um, that food is for the stomach and the stomach's for food. But Paul says, well, yes, but God will judge them both. God will destroy them both. So don't forget, don't be so taken about food stuff. Be consumed with your soul state before God. There's a, a modern um, philosophy that's going on. It's been going on for, for decades now, but um, I'll just mention it briefly because it is it fits in with this idea about externality, that we're so concerned about what is external and not so much on the interior or internal and individual aspects of our lives. And that is to say critical race theory. Maybe you've heard that spoken about or, or being woke or these kinds of things. The idea there is, and I can almost summarize it in a, in a phrase, that's, that racism is only skin deep. Racism is depending on the color, the, the, the pigment of your skin. How dark or how light is your skin? Well, if you're light-skinned, then you're obviously a racist. If you're dark-skinned, then you're not. And, and varying degrees of that will affect your, uh, your outlook on life. Really? I mean, that, that's an external, I mean, that is, if, if there was a way to externalize justification, sanctification based on that and social justice, all these kinds of things, then, oh, we just, we just need to look at the color of your skin. Not when you're tanned, not when you're uh, bleached yourself or anything, just the, na and that is so foolish. Does that take account, take into account human uh, choices, volition, human sin, and the answer of, of, um, of the gospel is not to change our skin color. Somehow, oh, now we're going to be shades of, of brown, uh, darker, or darker. Somehow, when we trust the gospel, now we're, we're change our skin color. No, that has nothing to do with it. It has to do with loving Christ and therefore loving other people and seeking out, well, to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. We like to focus on that which is external because that is obvious and it makes us somehow stand out from other people. But it has nothing, nothing. God is not impressed with that. Remember when Samuel, the prophet, went to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul had messed up so many different times and yet more to come. And he, you know, Samuel was taken by this and he, he thought, oh, the surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This is First uh, Samuel 16 when he looked at Eliab. Uh, the first son of Jesse back in Bethlehem. He says, surely this is because he was tall and because he was strong and handsome, the oldest of the sons. And God says, no, I have rejected him uh, because his heart is not for me. Uh, you are judging by external appearances, but I, the Lord, judge the hearts. That's where we need to deal with. Not that we would judge and condemn one another, but we would deal honestly with heart issues, that we would recognize that justification, sanctification is not based on external stuff, but internal realities of the heart, that I would call upon the name of the Lord, that I would desire and orient myself toward Christ, not the worldly stuff, not what the world celebrates, but what Christ, who Christ is and what he's done for us. 
these rules make us look good, but they are foolish. They are they perish with the use. They're just they're temporal. Eat whatever you want. Now I understand there are health concerns about eating sugar and so forth, and and uh, you know, all that. That's health concerns. That's not spiritual concerns. Uh, some people have the attitude, uh, Jesus is going to have to take me fat, kind of thing. You know, in death or in rapture, or whatever. I, you know, I'm going to do this. Okay, I mean that's another. I'll, you, you and the Lord deal with that. You have a stewardship over your temple, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we want to manage our bodies well. But it's not a, it's not a life and death issue or a spiritual issue about what you eat or what you don't eat. He says the second aspect here. These these teachings they sound so wonderful, but they're what is the basis of their authority? Men, man's ideas, and you know how men can be, and not just male species, male people, but. Anybody, anybody born of Adam and Eve is is faulty, is can be deceived. Eve was deceived and fell into transgression. But, of course, Adam was just disobedient. So, okay, deception and disobedience, and you're going to take your marching orders from, from those kinds of people? You're going to orient your whole life around what the rabbis say or what the false teachers say or what the, the TV um, documentaries and, and, and investigative shows, all these interview whatevers that are going on. You're going to take your... your Ideas of what life is all about from them? Or the folks who have... There was a man, what was his name? Simon, I think was his, was his name. And his last name wasn't really a last name. It was more of a title because of what he did. Uh, his name was Simon Stulates. Stulates. Uh, a stula or a stulas is like a pillar. And so this guy, Simon, back in the... I think it was in the 400s. He said, I am going to deny myself all luxuries. I'm going to live on a pillar. And he did for decades on a pillar, somehow thinking that he would promote his sanctification thereby. Well, and we think that's kind of that's kind of out there and kind of weird. So many people take a vow of poverty or of chastity. They become nuns and monks. They go to a monastery to somehow escape the perils of the world. The problem is they're taking themselves into their little cell. The problem is not out there. The problem is inside. You've got to deal with the issues of your heart. You can't just say, I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to pluck out my eyes so I don't gaze upon a woman to lust after. I'm not going to, or, or finding gold and silver that I would want to. The problem is inside. That's what Jesus said. Don't be concerned with food. That's, that's foolish. Food is given by God to enjoy, to give us uh, um, happiness and contentment. He talks about in the Old Testament the blessing of the vine, the fruit of the vine, the blessing of the of the harvest, and and it's good. God has given these things to enjoy. It has nothing to do with your your sanctification. Thereby, these people, based on their own authority, made up in their own minds, they will command. It's not just a, a gentle. A nudge, hey, you ought to think about this. No, they say, no, you must do this. Do not handle this. Don't taste that. And they will be very specific and they will be very demanding that you, you know, toe the line, that you come right up and you follow their, their, uh, their commands entirely. Well, forget about it. These, these are in accordance or, or, or their only measure of authority is that people say you ought to do it. Their commands, their injunctions, their requirements, and they're just general teaching that they, I mean, it's not like, like I say, false teachers are so. I mean, you talk about hot air. They they will speak about all manner of things, and you think, well, how are we going to answer them? Just by the truth, the truth of God's word. And they say, well, they're quoting these the scripture, they're misquoting it, and they're being partial in it, just like Satan is a deceiver, uh, um, presents himself like an angel of light, but he speaks falsehood. He misapplies, misuses, misquotes the scripture from the very beginning. Did God really say? 
And it goes on um, there from there. So these commands and teachings, they come from men, not from God. This is kind of an allusion to Isaiah 29, verse 13, I think it is, where uh, the, uh, the prophet is saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's not about external. It's not about the words that you might say or, or the praises. And, you know, we're of, we're of, of uh, Abraham or we're of Moses or we're of this and that and the other thing. What about the hearts? You uh, hold to the commands and teachings of men. You don't orient yourself around the scripture, the word of God. Don't be in accordance with those things. Verse 23 gives the third and fourth reasons why this is just, you're off base if you try to uh, put your salvation in the hands of men or in the hands of your own selves by what you do or don't do. He says these are matters which have to be sure, to be sure. It looks good. It has the appearance of wisdom. This word, the word word is is the word word. Well, that's kind of pedantic, but uh, it's, it's the idea of has the appearance, it has the the um, the look of being wis- of wise. Oh, that there is wisdom there. These people are they're speaking truth. They're these false teachers. They are the ones. Oh, yeah, that sounds that's persuasive. That that's something that that you can take that to the bank. What that what that teacher just said that is that just just resonates with me and that makes me feel so good that I can do this myself. We need to get out there and we need to do this and that and not do that and we need to not touch that. And we need to not say that. These things that these false teachers are saying. It, it looks good, it sounds good, it appeals to the flesh. It does not glorify Christ. It does not glorify the righteousness that comes by faith, not the righteousness that comes by works. But it says the, the, all these things, and, and again, verse 21 is just a, a sample, a brief sample of all the, the, the manifold rules that these people would put upon each other. These are matters having to be sure, to be sure. I mean, you, you look at all these rules and you say, boy, that, that's, that's wisdom right there. That's that's profound. That's good stuff. And that's what the world says. You, you got to do this and the other thing. It is a word of wisdom, but he says it's in self-made religion. It's made up. The only authority that they have is, is their own mind, which is really not a, a good thing to trust in. It is it's something that they have designed or, or defined in their own mind. It's something that they desire. It's something that they, it's kind of like a would-be religion, uh, that, you know, I would, I would be king of my own life. I would be God of my own, I would be my own savior. I would take care of this in my own self. He says, uh, Paul says here that this is, uh, self-chosen. This was not something that, that other people chose for these false teachers. Now they're, of course, choosing it for us. They want to impose their, their self-made religion on other people, but it's something they made up themselves as voluntary worship. Religion. This worship, the word religion is the same that we saw about the worship of angels. What are you worshiping angels for? What are you bowing down to them for? You're making these things up. It is foolishness. It is wickedness because you have the clear word of God to say what path you should follow. And you are saying that's nice and everything, but I'm going to go this way. Don't do that. Stick to the scripture, what the scripture says. It, this, this word of wisdom, these matters have to do with self abasement or this is that same word we saw earlier in verse 18 about humility, uh, which may have been fasting, may have related to uh, not taking food so that they would lead them into greater ecstasy and visions of angels and so forth. Foolishness. What are these people doing? This false humility or even a flaunted humility. Remember how the Pharisees would, would when they were fasting, when they were, um, you know, foregoing food and drink and, and that kind of thing, they would go out and they would look gaunt 
and pale, and they would walk, kind of just drag their feet in the public places because they wanted to make sure, okay, who's watching me? Kind of like, and they kind of stage other people around them to make sure that people gave attention to that suffering rabbi. Oh, he's so pious. He's so wonderful. This is false humility. This is pride on display because everybody wants, you know, the person doing it says, look at me, look at me, look at me, what I'm doing for God. I'm not doing this or I'm, you know, suffering in that way. It is self-abasement. It is treating yourself poorly to be noticed by men and to be praised in that way. Paul says, don't, don't do that. Don't be given to those things. This is severe treatment of the body. This is a harsh uh, or ascetic, A-S-C, ascetic uh, treatment of the body. This is um, not sparing, not, not, um, not even pursuing luxury and so forth, but just, and not even pursuing comfort, just maybe avoiding pain would be a basic idea, but they're taking it way beyond that. And they say, avoiding pain is not the goal. I would be willing to seek pain if somehow that improved my religiosity or feeling that I'm somehow better than the other person. This is uh, just a grandiose thought to themselves. So they're willing to flagellate themselves. They're willing to uh, think of the different penances that are required uh, in the Roman Catholic Church about... Um, uh, I'm thinking of Martin Luther crawling up these steps to the to the uh, building and, and praying a prayer each each step, crawling up, of course, on his knees. And uh, what are you doing that for? What you think that somehow God will take notice of you because of that? What God notices is repentance. He notices true humility. He noticed, for example, when Ahab, wicked, wicked, wicked king Ahab, humbled himself before God, and God said, "Hey, everybody, did you just see what Ahab did?" I am going to take that judgment I was going to pour out on his, or I'm going to pour out on his family in northern, northern uh, kingdom of Israel, but I'm going to delay it because of what Ahab did. Not because of his works, not because of what he did, what he did or didn't do, except repent and humble himself before God. That's what gets God atten- God's attention, not this severe treatment of the body, this harsh treatment of the body. This, it's not external. You cannot through food and drink or through these external things, get to the heart of the matter. You need the gospel. I tell you what, the gospel, the word of God is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. It gets right down to the to the nitty-gritty, right down to the issue at hand. Don't be so consumed with these external things. And verse 23, the last reason here, uh, says these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. All these commands, which, again, their stated goal is to improve or or be a basis for your justification that you are declared righteous before God, but also that your daily practice, that you're somehow made more righteous in your daily life is based on these rules. And Paul says they, they have like not just a little value, they're they're helpful in some ways. He says, no, they have no value. They're not useful in any way in these things. Now, you might be thinking perhaps of First uh, Timothy chapter 4 when Paul says about uh, discipline, bodily discipline, he says, is useful for some things, but godliness is useful for all. Maybe and that's First Timothy uh, 4 and verse 8. Bodily training or bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says, training yourself. Now, even Paul says, First Corinthians 9, I buffet my body and make it my slave so that I would not become disqualified. There is that idea... But it's not in terms of sanctification. It is not in terms of God will like me more if I do these things. It is, I don't want to be, I, I'm not on that basis anymore. I have been 
I have become dead with Christ or died with Christ. I'm dead to the world. I've been crucified to the world. Why should I continue to bend my ear and listen to what the world celebrates? Why should I be given toward the the excesses of of what he's going to get into in chapter 3, this excesses of immoralities and, like in verse 5, um, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Whoa, those things are not outside. That starts in the heart. That's what Jesus said back in Matthew 15. The issue is not what you do on the outside or what, what comes into your body that way, but what is coming from your heart, from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Or as uh, Solomon said in uh, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for from it flow the wellspring of life. This is where your, your whole being comes from, your heart. You think, what is this heart? Is this pumping muscle thing? No, it is the inner man. It's talked about the soul, the spirit, the, the mind, the, the will. is all different. You know, you, you look at, at the same thing from a different perspective. You, you would emphasize a different aspect of the one thing. The one thing is that inner man. Don't focus so much on your external person and start cutting off pieces of your flesh to somehow make you more sanctified before God. Don't start plucking out your eyes. And Jesus said it that way because he was saying, treat or deal with sin in a, in a powerful way, recognizing temptation is out there. It will, it will take you. So fight against it. But we fight against it not on the basis of, well, God will like me more if I do this. No, we, we deny ungodliness and worldly lust based on our standing in Christ. We are standing firm in him. It's the grace of God that has appeared teaching us uh, that we should deny ungodliness and worldliness and live soberly, righteously in the present age. It's how we approach things. It's how we think about our things, how we think about our own practice. That, you know, we don't go to church so that somehow uh, the preacher will, will see that I'm here and, 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 you know, check you off the list, which I do have a list, by the way. But it, we, we, you don't do that. You approach, you come to church because you want to love God. You want to grow in understanding of Him. You want to... Uh, Exercise the gifts that he's given to you to encourage the body. You want to love and serve and meet needs on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or different times that we can be together. And even during the, when we're not meeting as a church in the course of the week that you're ministering, not because you think, well, I, I didn't do my good deed daily for the day, so I've got to make sure before I go to bed, I've got to, or I haven't read the scriptures, so I know God's not going to like me tomorrow if I don't read the scriptures today, or I haven't read, I haven't prayed all my, through my whole prayer list, so I somehow got, Lest we think this problem of, of external sanctification is for other people, it goes right to us because we will somehow say, well, uh, you know, God, this bad thing just happened because I didn't do this or I did this. Uh, we, we, we connect these ideas when Paul says, and God is saying through Paul, you're in Christ. You are accepted in him. God is crazy about you. You know, use the vernacular. You are accepted in the beloved. Don't think that somehow you need to improve upon your marriage. There is, there's a point at which when you get a ring on your finger and you're married to a spouse that, okay, hear me out. That in the, in the, in the courtship and engagement and that kind of phase, you are trying to woo another. You're trying to, you know, earn each other's affection and all this kind of wonderful, wonderful happiness, which is so confusing. You, you know, there's a reason why the proverb, the, uh, Proverbs say, you know, there's many things that I understand. One of them is the way of a young man with a maiden. It's just so, whoa, confusing. But when you are married, you have the commitment. You are there. You are till death do us part kind of stuff. You are connected and you are secure in that love. Now, there may be good days and bad days and so forth, right? Uh, through sickness and, uh, and, and health and richer and poor and all that kind of stuff, which is real. It's not 
for other people. That's for me. That's for each each person. But you're not concerned about the temporariness, the transitoriness of the relationship. You're committed. You're together. You have become one flesh. And so you're not concerned so much about earning the attention, the affection of the other person. You are secure in that knowledge. We have been married. I mean, the marriage analogy in, in Scripture is profound from the very beginning to the very end, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are married to Christ. He's faithful, even if we're not. He is faithful. Now, don't go too far with that. We will persevere in terms of our faithfulness to the Lord. He, if we if we deny him, then he will deny us. But if we deny him, then we never did confess him. There is that security. Anyway, getting way deep on that. But the point is that we approach our life differently being a husband as opposed to a suitor. There's no no confirmation that, that that person is returning my love. But when you're married, there's love. There's that affection. When you are in Christ, you don't need somehow to whip up the, the frenzy of excitement and and uh, uh, romance and, and you're you're in Christ. You're in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you trusted him? If you are in him, you have died with Christ to all that stuff that sounds good, that the world celebrates, that the church celebrates. So much focused on externalities and and things. We need to be focused on the matters of the heart, which come back comes back to the gospel. If you have believed in Christ, if you have been raised up with Christ, then your life is different based on that foundation, not based on your performance, your daily performance. Now, lest we think, oh, then it doesn't matter what I do in my daily life because I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If we are truly saved, then we are in the direction of Christ. And as you get closer to Christ, the stuff of earth grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And you think, oh, as I get to Christ, I can bring all my sins with me. Do you remember that guy who tried to fly into the sun with kind of waxy wings, wasn't it? Who's that guy? Icarus, yeah, what a good name. But as he got closer to the name, to the name, to, to the sun, the, the dross melted away. And guess what? It didn't hand up well for him. You can read the rest of the story. But as we get closer to God, the 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 dross of our lives are is is taken away and we're not given to excesses of greed and of immorality and these other things mentioned that we'll look at here in chapter 3 when we are in Christ we want the things that God wants we desire the things we think God's thoughts after him we are on a different foundation and we are not subject or susceptible to, and we still are somewhat susceptible to, but we we have a desire for growth. We cannot come up with enough rules and regulations to keep us from every sin. Think of an example of one of my kids who, who, after the event happened, we said, oh, we didn't think about telling him not to do that. You can never make enough rules about what you can and cannot do. But if you have a self-control, if you have a, a piety, not a false piety, but a, a devotion to God, a desire to please him. Well, how Jesus said, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's what determines what you will allow into your life, what kind of, uh, how you respond to temptation. It, it, it's, it goes to the matter of the heart, which is what Paul has been saying here. These things, they, they cannot penetrate the heart. They look good on the outside. They make other people very impressed with you. Oh, look at these very serious about the Lord, this person. 
but you, you are false, you are fake, you're a hypocrite because you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't be so taken with these false ideas of piety. Be taken with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, what he has done, who he is. Glorify him.